This is our third session now on 1 Thessalonians 2, 9-12. For you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship, working night and day so as not to burden any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless we became toward you who believe. Just as you know, said it here, your witnesses, says it again. Like a father with his children, exhorting each one of you and encouraging you and testifying that you walk worthily of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Father, would you teach us about this walk here, and perhaps just as importantly, about how Paul went about seeking to bring this about with the Thessalonians by being a father to them. Show us what his fatherly approach to bringing about a holy calling looks like. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked about the holiness of Paul, the righteousness of Paul, the blamelessness of Paul. He was devout. He wronged no one. He put no stumbling block in the way of those outside and never gave them an occasion for blame or reproach. Now, you are witnesses to this. How holy, righteous, blameless we became toward you who believe, like a father. So the sentence goes on. We were holy, righteous, blameless, like a father with his children. And then come three participles, which actually relate to we became this way. We became this way like a father exhorting. We became this way like a father encouraging. We became this way like a father testifying, and all of those exhorting, encouraging, and testifying aimed that you walk in a certain way. So let's just pause there and think about that. So this holy, righteous, and blamelessness are all ways that he exhorted. He exhorted them. In a devout way, he exhorted them in a, in a way that never wronged them. He exhorted them in a way that was free of blame. And you can say that with each one of these. So that would be worth our taking time to ask how these three character qualities inform these three ways of urging a walk, a kind of life. So let's pause with each one of these and ask, now what's the connotation? What is implied by these three words? Why use three words to move the Thessalonians toward a certain kind of life or walk? Exhort, parakaleo, implies that we are coming alongside and standing with them, 
in a hopeful way, an affectionate way, and urging them not with a sense of impersonal distance or skepticism or contempt. It's not like you're keeping your distance and you say, no, go ahead, do that, get that done. But rather, and this word is just full of partnership. I'm with you in this. And keep in mind now that not only do these, these three qualities inform these, but so does father. He's modeling here how he thinks a father should get a son to get something done that he ought to do and may not be inclined to do. As a father, he starts with exhorting, coming alongside and saying, uh, I'm going to, I want you to go for it now and I'll help you. I'm not at a distance from you. I'm totally in this with you. And then encourage. This word calls to mind the fact that the son has emotions that at this point may be flagging. They need to be buoyed up. So this word says, look, I recognize that what I'm saying could discourage you or deplete your emotions or make you feel like, I can't do this. And I want you to know I'm going to be there to help you do this. Very closely related to this, only this one I think is more focused on the emotions of the doer and this more on the willingness of the one that's helping the doer. So I encourage you in my devotion and my righteousness and my freedom from reproach. And then finally, this is the one that's most urgent. Most commentators simply say this is a strong urging. But actually, the word, uh, even though it's not translated always testify, is regularly translated in the New Testament to testify to something that you have seen. And so I'm suggesting here that the father is saying to the son, son, I've been there. I've walked this walk. I'm, I'm urging you, press into this. I've been there. I know it's got difficulties, and I can promise you it's worth it. So go for it, son. So those three words flowing from a father's heart marked by holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness, all of it aiming toward, I want you to walk a certain way, Thessalonians. I want you to live a certain way. There's a lifestyle that goes with the gospel of God. This is not just news for how you can escape hell. This is a news for how you relate to everything in your life. And the way I'm going to put it now is this, walk worthily of God. I'm going to save this for next time. There's so much to say about the calling, about the kingdom, about the glory, but he doesn't say just walk worthy of your calling. This is a very common phrase for Paul. He, he loves to talk about the Christian life as worthy of what? Ephesians, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The calling itself is stunning. Walk worthily of it. And we'll talk about that calling next time. Philippians 1.27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. The gospel is glorious and infinitely valuable. Walk worthily of it. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the closest that we have here. Walk worthy of 
God. God is of infinite beauty, infinite value, infinite wisdom, infinite justice, infinite love, infinite grace. And he has come to you with gospel, with good news. Walk worthy of that. You see how different this is than there's a God out there, and if you walk in a certain way, you might find him or you might um, earn his favor. It's just the opposite. He has come to you with a gospel that takes away all your sin and all your condemnation, and now he's the kind of God you see who is worthy. Now, you see what I've done. I've made God the one who's worthy of a certain walk. We might get confused and say, look, if you tell me, to walk worthily of God, I'm going to think I have to be worth or deserving, meriting God. It doesn't mean that. We know it doesn't because this is such a common word in this kind of context. You can see it most clearly maybe right here in Matthew 3, 7 and 8, where John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of, same word, repentance. Now that's a strange thing to say, because if you treated the word worthy to mean deserving of, this wouldn't work. Worthy of repentance doesn't mean deserving repentance, meriting repentance, earning repentance. It means when you repent, there's a kind of fruit that is fitting repentance. That's what this word usually is translated as, fitting or appropriate to repentance. So repentance calls for a certain kind of fitness in the fruit. Now, that's what we have. Same idea here. I exhort you, I encourage you, I testify to you, walk in a way that is befitting, appropriate to the worth of God. So the worthiness here is really in God, and this applies to us as fitting the worth of God. So that's the nature of Christian obedience. Our gospel arrives. It reveals a God of love, a God of wisdom, a God of justice, a God of forgiveness, a God of compassion, a God of patience, and on and on and on the glory that we see of God in the gospel. And thus saved by this God, we'll talk about that calling, but right now just the God himself is so great and so glorious and so worthy, there is a walk that is fitting to belong to such a God. And the father of his children wants them to know that because he is testifying, I've been there. I know what it is to walk with this God.